Welcome to the Work Research Revolution. I'm your host, Cara DeLunger. In this podcast, I speak to doctors, scientists, professors, and business leaders who are at the leading edge of this work research revolution and radically changing the way we work. We will be harnessing their collective insight so that we can create the catalyst that drives much needed change in the future of work around the world. Work Reset Revolution is brought to you by Softer Success. Visit www.softersuccess.com to learn how you can revolutionize your well-being plan and help eradicate burnout in your organization. So let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Work Research Revolution. And today I'm talking to Steve Peralta, who's co-founder at Unmind and Chief Wellbeing Officer. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Cara. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's fantastic to have you. And I'd like to start by asking you a question. So in your view, what are the biggest crises affecting modern workplaces at the moment? Well, I guess my view derives through the lens that I look at, you know, the workplace and the work that we do. So for me, you know, things like burnout and worsening mental health are obvious crises. And both of these, I guess, alongside the obvious human suffering element, they both negatively impact things like productivity and performance. So I think those are crises. But underlying this is, in my mind, a mismatch between what a human being needs to be healthy, and not just healthy, but flourishing and peak performing, and what workplaces are actually providing people. So like, rather than elevating mental health and well-being and supporting sustainable peak performance, which I think workplaces have the potential to do, and I'd say probably a responsibility to do, you know, many workplaces perhaps unintentionally do the opposite. You know, the workplace ends up causing distress and poor well-being and driving burnout. And in many cases, it's just seen as part of the job. So I think that sort of speaks to the crises. And I can go in more detail if you want, but I don't have anything you want to... That's a scary thought, isn't it, to think that many workplaces see that as part of the job. And what do you think are the main root causes there in terms of where would that sit with these toxic cultures that you were talking about? I mean, I guess it's probably a complex matter with various factors. I think it just speaks to the general paradigm and the way that we see work. But, you know, I guess research would show that the root cause of most organizational problems is culture and leadership. So we probably need to look there. You know, I came across a recent well-being Deloitte report, employee well-being, that spoke or at least highlighted the disconnect between how well leaders think they are doing at supporting the well-being of their people and how well people think they're doing. So most leaders think their organization does a good job at employee well-being and most employees disagree. And so and I'm sure you'd agree, it seems that employees are starting to expect more from their leaders and their workplaces when it comes to the workplace and how it supports mental health and well-being. And I think the pandemics obviously played a big part in this, you know, I think in two ways, beyond the fact that it's added extra strain and extra uncertainty, there's that, but then I think it's also served to highlight this disconnect. You know, it's, it's almost like fast forwarded the awareness of the problem, but it's a problem that's always been there. I mean, recently I was asked to do a well-being talk for a company, but I was asked not to mention anything to do with work-life balance because that's just an impossibility at the company and people work crazy hours. So that just sort of speaks yeah. to the kind of thing I'm mentioning here. 
I do want to say I'm not naive. I don't think we should just, you know, sacrifice performance for well-being. You know, businesses are there for a reason. But I think we can expand on and enhance that reason, you know. And I actually think for an organization and its people to really be truly high-performing, which is obviously what a business wants, you know, you need to be high-performing over time. In other words, it needs to be sustainable high-performance, not burnout. I think the culture and the ways of working need to support and empower employee well-being for that to be a reality. So I think there's a synergy there between performance and well-being. So, yeah, that's the way I see it. I think that's so interesting. And touching on the talk that you did that, you know, you were asked not to mention work-life balance because the organization already knew that that didn't exist for them. So it's almost like putting that plaster on, isn't it? So, and we won't be able to change any of this if we don't tackle some of the root causes in terms of we're human beings, right? We weren't designed to work as robots and there needs to be time for that rest and time for the mind and body to recover from a day of work and not be sort of switched on all the time. And we've also just released our recent research with University of Sheffield on moral stress, moral injury. So this is when somebody witnesses or sees an act that goes against their own values and beliefs. And you're looking at the great resignation and people are looking sort of more for more purpose and meaning in life. Mm. You know, we've seen an, a link, you know, moral injury and stress can lead, contribute to burnout. And I think this is a really interesting point to touch on. And I'd wondered what your thoughts were on that as well. And if you're seeing that around in some of the companies that you talk to yeah i know it exists you know the idea of like toxic workplace cultures and so on it's a definite reality i almost can't imagine it you know like i guess our workplace culture that mind is far from that but i know it's a very real thing and i think it comes down to again the paradigm the way that leaders and people and obviously not all leaders and all people but perhaps generally speaking the way that they view work and the workplace i think you mentioned an important point that we're talking about human beings here you know like the workplace is not a machine it's not a mechanistic input and output robotic thing it's like a living breathing organic complex system made up of human beings that have very real human needs that if aren't met are not able to like realize their potential and right now i think because there's that sort of mechanistic, robotic way of looking at workplaces, which I think is reflected in, let's say, overly hierarchical, overly market-driven cultures. And those things aren't, there's nothing inherently wrong with those, but if you over-index on those to the sacrifice or to the detriment of the human side of things, then that's where problems start to rise. And I think that's what's happening. And that moral piece, I mean, I can imagine if your organization, if working in that organization requires you to be subscribing to values that do not align with your own, I can just imagine there's such a friction and a tension that must exist for the individual. So I can understand why that would be the case, definitely. Yeah. And so what do you think would help in tackling the crises that are affecting workplaces at the moment? I think... Like I've touched on already, I think there needs to be like senior leadership buy-in and commitment, first of all. You know, like you mentioned, it's not about putting a plaster on a wound that your workplace culture is helping to create. You know, in this instance, a plaster might be an EAP service, for example. This is about making employee well-being a strategic priority and then intentionally creating an organizational culture that fosters well-being alongside performance. And I think 
you need senior leadership buy-in for that. I think for that to happen, you need compelling data. You know, there needs to be a strong business case for it. And there is, there's plenty of research to support the link between healthy, happy employees and productivity and engagement and resilience during difficult times and decreased attrition and all that kind of stuff. You know, so there is that side of it, the leaders seeing, acknowledging, understanding this data, but then also from a data perspective, understanding their own organization and understanding how their organization is doing when it comes to supporting employee well-being. And that I think, you know, if you're able to assess individual well-being across your organization to actually see how your people are doing, but also be able to assess how well your organization is supporting well-being. I think those insights, and it should be quantitative and qualitative, you know, should speak to your people. I think that can give you a good sense of where you are, what your key issues are. You know, there's a saying you can't manage what you don't measure or something along those lines. Yeah. But then it needs to go beyond just identifying those problems. You know, we need to ultimately, and this is something I believe in with a lot of conviction, is that we need to move beyond just the reactive problems-focused way of thinking about mental health and well-being and take a more positive, proactive approach. And that should extend across the whole organization. You know, there's no playbook for every single organization. We all have our own different circumstances and so on. But if we start asking questions like, you know, what does it take for a human being to be able to flourish? What does a flourishing workplace look like? How well are we currently doing with our organization? Like, what are the kinds of conditions that need to create to support flourishing, um, et cetera, et cetera. That can then inform, you know, alongside the data, a well-being strategy to help move you towards this vision of a flourishing organization, which I think is a vision we should all aspire to. Absolutely. How healthy is your company? You know, a healthy company. And no, I 100% agree. And, you know, I know you and I were talking a few weeks ago about, you know, one of the reasons I started this work reset revolution movement is because we're never going to, like, it's so important to create some healing and different ways of working so that we all have the right energy to Mm. also take care of our environment. And at the moment, there's still so much. I'm kind of going off here, but I still see the pandemic has changed a lot, but I still see people kind of grasping to go back to how things were. And I think there's a unique opportunity for us to actually now say, okay, you know, we were embracing hybrid work and working from home and not working in the office, but there's more to it than that. And this is our unique you know, catalyst moment to create that change. But yeah. people are not accepting the change and not wanting the change. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do think it's an opportunity for positive change. It's highlighted what human beings really need in their lives. First of all, it's highlighted that that's not being provided for in the workplace. And then I think what you were suggesting, which I, which I really believe in, is that if we remain in a stressed out, burnt out state, I think we are far less equipped to be able to effectively respond to the big global crises that we are facing in the world. And I think that's absolutely because we all spend most of our time in the workplace. If most of that time is causing us distress and strain and burnout, et cetera, we are, you know, we self-contracting, we become less compassionate, we become less creative, we are less able to solve problems well, we don't collaborate well, we et cetera, et cetera, like the very things we need to be able to lean in to address these big problems that we're faced with. So I see it as going beyond just like creating a healthy, happy organization for the sake of it. It's to create health and well-being and energy and flourishing in as many people as possible so that they can then have that kind of positive impact on 
other people. I almost see it as like a really sort of existential problem to overcome. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, again, it's bigger than that, isn't it? And we've got a bigger thing to take care of, which is our environment and the climatic changes and all of the other uncertainties going on. So I couldn't agree more with that. And so that said, do you have any other ideas on what a work reset revolution would look like? Does that look like to you? Yeah. I mean, I like the word revolution there. I mean, it speaks to, you know, overthrowing of the old and welcoming in of the new. And to me, the old is what I've mentioned, that mechanistic way of looking at the workplace where employees are just parts in a machine and where the, fr- the primary focus is like results and outputs. So I think that is what needs to be transcended. And I would say transcending that and moving towards the new, which to me is a workplace that is seen as a living, breathing, dynamic, organic system made up of human beings with massive potential who express that when those needs are met, all of that and optimizing a workplace for that, which to me comes to what I really sort of feel here, are like workplaces that are more human, more soulful, more compassionate, where there's that virtuous cycle between well-being and performance, where people are invited to develop and bring their strengths to work, as well as their whole unique selves, you know, all in service of an inspiring purpose that extends beyond just like the organizational short-term goals, where you know, where work and life aren't seen as these two separate entities, but instead where work is seen as like an essential part of a meaningful life where it can actually enhance the human spirit rather than degrade it. Um, all of this kind of thing for the very reason that we've just been speaking about, because I think this is what's required for us to be able to positively impact the world around us. So it's really important. And I think this requires an intentional positive change in beliefs and principles and values and behaviors and rituals and practices and systems and processes. So across the whole board, and I do think so it's definitely a whole organization thing. It's not just up to the leaders, but I do yeah. think it's up to the leaders to initiate this. Without them shifting, I don't, it'll be very difficult for this shift to happen. So that's what I'd love to happen. I know it sounds idealistic and romantic, but you know, there are really organizations out there doing this kind of thing. No, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, soulful, purposeful, you know, collaborative way of working is just not just way of working, a way of being, I think, where that combines our work and our life and everything all together. And I see that future as well. And looking at this for the next generation and for us to lay the stepping stones for them now, you know, they're already helped and they're going to have many more challenges or they'll have different challenges. But Yes, I think on that note, a soulful, purposeful, you know, way of being and how you've just expressed, I absolutely agree. So um, thank you so much, Steve, today. I know that everybody will really benefit and love to listen to this. So thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thanks so much, Cora. Thank you for listening to the Work Reset Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work and contact us at info at softersuccess.com to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution. Thank you.